Hello, my name is Louis and welcome to CX Insider. Today, Greg and myself speak to a former University of Portsmouth lecturer and program leader about how students can prepare themselves for the professional world. We also touch on how you can use data to analyze your customer's experience and make improvements. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to comment and subscribe on your chosen platform. And I will see you in, in about eight seconds. Hello again, guys. Welcome back to what is now Customer Experience Insider. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Karen Klinkard from the University of Southampton. Now, Karen actually was a former Portsmouth program leader. The, the, that's the university that Greg and I went to. Uh, but now she's at Southampton Business School in the Department of Digital and Data-Driven Marketing. Firstly, how are you doing today, Karen? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, Louis. I'm really pleased to to join you guys and catch up. It's always nice to speak to people who are either current or past students of Portsmouth. Um, even though I work at Southampton, I still have a genuine interest in what people are doing and how their careers are developing. So that's a nice opportunity. Amazing. Yeah, it's great to speak to you on the podcast. Sorry about any background noise you may hear. Um, I'm now in a student house again. So you know what that's like. I'm sure you've heard what that's like. <laughs> I was a student myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> there won't be any dogs barking on my end though. I can't guarantee it on mine, I'm afraid. Okay, I will jump straight into the questions. So Karen is now, correct me if I'm wrong, Karen, by the way, you are now the module leader for services value for services, sorry, services value for digital managers and design thinking uh, in marketing. And yeah. Those are two modules, so um, services marketing is one and design thinking is a separate one. Okay, right. Amazing. And in the pre-pod conversation, I, I, I found it amazing what you are achieving for students and their professional development through their education, which is something that's quite often uh, missed, in my opinion. Uh, you've written many academic papers surrounding your fascinating model, uh, Agile. Would you, just for our listeners, would you be able to briefly explain the fundamentals of your employability theory? Yeah, sure. Um, I know it's kind of um, a random set of words for a lot of your your podcast followers, but let me break it down a bit. So um, there's a, a word we use in universities to talk about careers, which is employability. And myself and my co-authors, um, who are also members of teaching team at Portsmouth, uh, we thought, well, employability isn't really a word students use particularly to describe things. And also the word career can sound a bit scary, particularly if you're, you know, between 18 and 21 and you're trying to think about getting a job. You're trying to think about becoming a graduate and becoming a working professional. If you say the word career, it kind of links in your mind feelings of that's it, that's forever one job for life, which doesn't really apply anymore. So career is also a bit of a scary word. So we were trying to think through what are different ways of expressing that and making it seem less scary and less kind of um, risky. And so we were talking about employment being one part of, you know, the, the idea that you come to uni, you learn some fantastic new things, you develop critical thinking skills, you work with lots of other peers and students and experts in their area and then you try to think through okay what would I like to do with this in terms of working 
Um, but the fact that you're not going to get just one end result, one career for life out of university, that, you know, it's just not the reality anymore. Most people seem to um, do lots of stepping stone jobs. So jumping from different types of role, different types of employer, different types of sector, meeting different people, networking, different sizes of company from tiny you know, sole traders and independent companies, not-for-profits up to huge blue-chip companies, which seems to be the kind of holy grail for students, isn't it? Let's go and work mm. for a big blue-chip company straight out of um, graduating, which is fantastic, but it's not necessarily the reality for all students. So we were trying to think, well, how do we interpret then that kind of uh, portfolio-type career, portfolio range of different um, stepping-stone jobs? So we looked into the concept of agile thinking, which kind of comes from computing technology, where when you're developing a piece of software and you're trying to test it through various different beta versions, you have a very agile approach to making changes as you go. And they they don't need to be kind of really deeply thought through. You just go for it and you give it a try. And I'm trying to instill that kind of confidence in students to give it a try. So to try a bit of volunteering, to take themselves out of a comfort zone, to meet new people, to do a bit of networking, to go onto LinkedIn, to develop a profile, to reach out to people perhaps that they haven't got an actual uh, connection with, but ask them um, just on the off, do you have a job in? Is there a role in? Can you give me some advice on? And that see that people aren't really that scary when they're working professionals and they're just human beings like the rest of us. And they quite often have a, a, you know, a huge amount of goodwill to give. So as a program leader that you mentioned um, before, one of the things I was really conscious of was how do we as a team of lecturers make a difference to students who've come through a program? How do we make sure that they're not just learning and then graduating and that's it goodbye no relationship forever with the university but really thinking through what could they do whilst at university which would help them develop more employer related skills and feel less afraid of the fact that you know this kind of career employment world can seem a bit scary and to think in an agile way so what can i do whilst i'm at university which will help me improve how I can work with other people, develop my networking skills, um, feel confident that I have actually changed, that my identity's changed, that I'm thinking through my um, uh, learning techniques and perhaps act in a more kind of entrepreneurial, enterprising way by, you know, using those networks to find new opportunities. So in, in a kind of brief overview of what Agile then means is, Um, If you think about it as the letters A-G-I-L-E, A A is for how adaptable you are. G is how good you are at gathering people, uh, networking, resources, information, opportunities. I is how aware you are that you have a certain identity and that there's a certain set of people you know that are kind of your community, whether that's social or social media, or, you know, groups that you belong to because of hobbies and interests, or other groups that you aspire to belong to because you want to become a professional in their working environment in the future. L is lifelong learning. So always thinking that in any 
position that you're in, there's always something else to learn. There's always always something new to find out about. And E is enterprising. So thinking in a sort of opportunistic, um, opportunity aware way, just like an entrepreneur would, constantly seeking out new things to try. So I think that's kind of a summary of it. Hmm. Yeah, I would I would fully agree with all of those points. Uh, I, as as we mentioned on the pre pod conversation, I'm studying business entrepreneurship, and one of the most important factors of entrepreneurship from my studies is actually social capital, your networks. And personally, I believe that's the one thing students overlook the most while they're at university is the value of the networks they could be developing. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And well, I, I think it's fair enough that a lot of students haven't been exposed to that kind of thinking before, that maybe their parents and their families are being really kind and helpful by introducing them to their networks of aunts, uncles, friends, etc., who work for big companies and saying, oh, we've helped you, you know, source a job there or get a bit of work experience. That's fantastic. Um, and I'm certainly not decrying it, but that's not perhaps the same experience for all students. Not all students find that their families are that well connected or that proactive in connecting you to them. Mm. So um, it's useful to put students in a, in a room or a group together, such as we do when we're, we're learning together, to meet people from very different backgrounds, different countries, different kind of family experiences, so that they then think, oh, hang on, that's not what's gone on in my life. So what can I make happen? Because I want a bit of something like that. I want an opportunity like that to be available to me. And maybe I've got to make that opportunity. So when I was lucky enough to go with our uh, Enterprise Society students out to the Silicon Valley a couple of years back, it was amazing. We, we went on to LinkedIn and we basically um, reviewed anybody who was a past student from Portsmouth University from up to 40 years ago who now lived in the Silicon Valley and we arranged to meet them wherever they worked and then asked them what difference did it make going to uni to you what things do you do now that you think are perhaps improved because of your previous learning experience and what advice would you give to current students and um, we ended up going to Facebook headquarters, Google headquarters, Amazon headquarters, Ericsson headquarters, you know, really fantastic SAP, all the big businesses and, and going around a couple of the university campuses as well. Recorded all those interviews. And one of the things, um, a lady who was a graduate recruiter for Ericsson found that when she went to university campuses and she was doing like um, employer stands, so you would have an open event and it would be a, a careers fair, for example, and students were expected to come in and talk to you. Students were really afraid of talking to her. And yet she's really lovely and really approachable. And her job is to try and meet you and recruit you. So you mm. get really uber confident students and it's fantastic. And their networking skills are brilliant. And then you get, you know, another range of students who seem kind of reluctant to even come up and approach her and talk to her. And she was thinking, but I'm really not scary, you know. And um, her advice was get a fantastic LinkedIn profile 
have a message, have a reason to want to contact someone, but just reach out, you know, do a bit of research, find out where a company is and what they do and who's their marketing manager if you want to work in marketing and who works for them and see if anybody's got some kind of tangential connection to you or your networks or people you know. Mm. Say, look, I really want to get involved. I've, you know, I've looked through your LinkedIn profile and I've seen that you did these various jobs before you got there. I'm just starting out. Have you got any advice for me? Rather than just saying, have you got a job? Which is kind of the worst thing to say. Yeah. Because people often feel a little bit kind of guilty that they, they can't just say, they basically have to say, no, we don't. Or, you know, or you could just apply through the normal route, which is a bit of a boring kind of dismissive reply. I think businesses, because they're they're run by people, they want to help other people, you know. Um, and and those are the kinds of firms that I was reaching out to, to help students develop those skills by doing live client projects. So basically, something. Uh, this is how I would phrase it to a business: I'd go out and I'd. I'd I'd be shopping one day and I'd walk into a local, you know, independent store and I'd say, hey, I work for the university. My students are doing marketing and they really like to help local businesses. What would you say keeps you awake at night that is a thing that you would like to fix about how you market your business, but you just haven't got time to do it? And we'll create that as a project scope for the students and they will go away and do the research and come back with some recommendations for you. How about it? And there was nobody who said no to that. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and what I then... Also, Why would they? Yeah. And then I, I also said to the students, go out and do that yourself. You know, go out as a group if that is more comforting and go in as a couple of you and, and you know, try and find a quiet moment to have a word with the boss of the company and say... You know exactly that. This is what we're offering. How about it? And 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 that kind of broke the barriers down a bit as well. So is is this what led into the development of ripen.com? Ah, uh, yeah, sort of. What happens is, um, in the role of being a, a module leader, so preparing your program, writing your assessment, trying to reach out to businesses. That takes quite a lot of kind of personal time, or you know, your your working time to do that reaching out. And, um, you know, some of it would be by phone call, some of it be in person, some of it would be by email. And you kind of had to kind of work out your timing between, you know, doing your marking and your teaching and your admin roles and all the rest of, you know, your, your working life to do that reach out. And what Ripen is, is a, an online educator and project speed dating website basically they are based in Canada and we were at Southampton the first university in the UK to um, start a relationship with them and adopt their platform but basically you write your project details down as a scope add it up to their database it goes onto their platform website and then anybody anywhere in the world who's also got a ripen account and it's ripen with two eyes can then log in and say, I'm this company and this is the project I have and this is the need I have. And then the database will connect and try to match your course with their project and vice versa. So it kind of takes a lot of that effort out. You just put one scope up and it becomes like a library of different projects that people can pick. And then you just Hmm. ping them a quick message via their online system and say, hey, I saw your project. That looks a good fit for my student 
course. How about we see if we can work out together? So I've had students last year working for six or eight different organisations, all based in Canada, when they're based in Southampton and they're giving them advice on what they should do and how they should develop their business and how they could reach out to their customers more effectively. So it's really amazing that, you know, they're getting an experience that is completely virtual. And this was even before the, the awful pandemic effect for everybody. But it was already virtual, already an online platform. And it's just so simple and quick. And it, it took a lot of that kind of outreach, uh, admin time out for me and other people like me who also use Ropen. I guess following on from that, Karen, one question that I would then have is, you know, about this process and how it actually helps organisations understand for example the the data they collect from these processes and obviously any insights that they get and you know what sort of things have you seen that is from, from a data perspective in particular helping organizations via using something like ripen yeah thanks greg it kind of depends on the project some of the project work that i did in the previous institution at portsmouth it, it depended on what the customer said was the problem that was keeping them awake at night so it could be anything And that was kind of good for students because then they weren't just being given one question to go and answer by me. They were given a real issue from a current business and it could be anything. So we had to kind of be very agile, (laughs) very adaptable to that. So it could be I am um, somebody with a business idea, which did happen once, who had a concept for a... um, cheese and wine restaurant uh, opportunity and she was very well connected to suppliers of excellent produce and quality produce and she just wanted to know would a market for that exist where she wanted to place it how much would it cost to rent a premises to make it available for her to actually run it as a business and she um, asked the students to go and basically do a, a survey of, of people visiting the, the Gun Wharf, which is the big retail outlet in Portsmouth, to see if they were just being visitors and they were tourists and they were only there for a little while, would they be interested in going having like gourmet cheese and wine? And for regular normal residents of Portsmouth, who they also found, what would they like out of it so that they could kind of pick the right kind of pricing, the right kind of selection, the right kind of products. And then um, the data from that was then made into recommendations about what the customer's preferences might be. Also, the students did a really thorough trawl of, um, you know, online databases that the university pays for students to have access to, which have industry reports about, you know, what's going on in the restaurant world, what's going on in the the gourmet deli type um, outlet world. And it will tell you about trends and data about the, the costs and the investments and the running and the hiring of staff and the, the purchase of, of products, etc. And the students used all of that information to then develop a um, like a business plan. She took the business plan to her local bank and got a loan and actually started the business. So, you know, it, it was huge. Uh, wow. Yeah. And, and the students were so excited to, to know that they'd had that level of input and actually had helped her devise this solution. And um, on the opening night, she invited me there to, to come along and the local press and everything were there because she was just so overjoyed 
that just this random, you know, phone call to me when I was reaching out looking for projects, I'd ended up with her getting the right kind of information supported by students who they'd never done anything like that before. So, um, you know, all power to them that they didn't realise what capability they actually had. That is amazing. That is honestly so impressive to hear someone, uh, like you say, starting with, with that just as a concept, as an idea, as a project, and then being able to take it to a real life business. That is hats off to that mm. that person and that team that did that. And uh, mm. that's amazing. Yeah, that really is amazing. Well, and how was the cheese and the wine? Was it good? <laughs> it was excellent. <laughs> actually. Yeah, really great. Really great. We've also had a kind of a similarish type success at Southampton as well with the most recent student groups on this services marketing module, where it, it was just kind of serendipitous, actually, you know, just like a, a pure opportunity that one of my students who'd been in my class the year before had now gone out on placement. He was working for an international um, software development company. And one of the programs or product ranges that they had was um, like an online training. It's called MOOC, so Massive Open Online Courses. And they wanted to understand what would the market be for taking this MOOC out to China? So what's the the market for it, the customer base, the the potential target? What's the value of that? What sort of things would they want? What was the demand for a particular type of training course in a particular sector that they had customers in? And I had just by coincidence been asked to go out and visit this student on his placement year, went and visited him in their um, headquarters offices, met his immediate supervisor and said, oh, we're looking for more live client projects. Don't suppose you have any? He said, actually, yeah, leave it with me. I'll have a think about it. So he and his boss had a chat. They then rang me the following week and said, oh, yeah, we've we've come up with a a project idea. And we had a chat and email conversation and stuck it on Ripen. And one of the students who was in my now current class applied to it. So we had a student who was in his third year out on placement, a student who was on her second year um, doing a project for the placement student. And my interaction then was just to make sure that the three of them kept in contact, that they just had one hour a week to chat online. So it was a very low expectation of the level of involvement from the client side of things. And the students know that. So they've got to kind of think carefully about what are they going to communicate? How are they going to communicate? What are they going to say? How are they going to get, you know, real gold out of that one hour's time and kind of save things up towards the end of the week instead of bombarding them, you know, all the time, a bit like WhatsApp messages or Snapchatting them. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, that worked out really well because they then used that information that this um, second year student had found to start the MOOC and actually they, they've opened an office up in China to um, support the business so you know it, again it can be really fantastic and I, I know I'm giving brilliant examples of things where you know business opportunities have come off but it can be something really small as just improving your customer satisfaction with a small element of your service um, such as a, a small cafe. Um, there's a really great um, independent cafe along uh, one of the high streets in South Sea called Pie and Vinyl. And on one side, it's a cafe and they make homemade pies. And the other side, it's um, a vinyl in you know, a music store. 
um, really nope. appealing to the vintage retro people. I don't know if you've ever I, been there. Uh, I really love that. Yeah, that place. I, I, I was on a, I was on South Sea Common for my first year of university, and that was my go-to place. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, and and here I am. I'm talking about it like I know about it because I've met the owner, and they've come in and they've observed the presentations that the students do and then give them feedback. But I've never set foot in the place, but I've looked at their website. I've looked at their marketing content. I've helped the students, you know, and I would really love to go. I even bought <laughs> a record player, um, an old sort of vintage leather case one that I could use at home as well. So I need to go out and find my vinyl again. <laughs> it's in the lock somewhere. Hmm. Fantastic. And, and you you really do like music. It's probably a good good topic to get onto, actually, as well, isn't it, Karen? Because you have a bit of history of music in the family and, and things like that. Yeah. Do you want to maybe share a bit about that? Because I think that's a great part of your story as a, as a person as well and how you have a great connection to music. I don't know how many of my students actually know, to be fair. You know, it's not the sort of thing you go shouting about, but I suppose it's a kind of a barrier breaker, isn't it? That um, I remember saying this once. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, myself and some friends who are of a similar age, let's say, we we were literally the oldest people there, but we went to see Chase and Status in Portsmouth Guildhall. I think I was there. <laughs> and um, it was like, it was like basically showering with your... <laughs> it was like showering with your clothes on. It was so hot in there. It was absolutely rammed with people and we were really going for it. I think Labyrinth was one of the... Um, warm-up packs and he was amazing as well and when I was telling the students the next week that I'd been there they all looked at me like what you went there oh my god like the same age as my mum it's wrong <laughs> so yeah I think they're always a bit surprised that you have a bit of a, an interest in music and I saw the prodigy uh, um, uh, victorious was it last year or the year before I think it was last year and Obviously, sadly, Keith has since died, but um, my kids were just going nuts mm. for the prodigy. We, we stayed late in the driving rain. Oh, my God, it was blowing sideways. Um, but, yeah, we stayed until he, they were the last on about 10 o'clock at night. It was so good. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of soul music. And uh, my uncle was a, a DJ of soul music in the, I guess, in the 70s, 80s in Oxford, where I grew up. And um, so I think I just sort of grew up in an environment where that was always kind of playing and people were singing along. And it's it's such a chilled mm. vibe. I think, you know, sometimes you need that in your life these days. And in fact, if you listen to most everyday radio stations at the moment, a lot of them are playing like Motown and disco tracks and stuff from the 70s and 80s, because I think people just warm to it. It's just, it's so relaxing. It's... um. Yeah, it, it kind of gives off friendly, happy vibes. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Mm. The the element of nostalgia is definitely also attractive to people. It can make or break a song for me. Yeah, and you can be from any background and still mm. um, collectively enjoy that music. Um, and there's a group of about 500 of us that have been out to Ibiza for a week, not to the clubby part, but to the relaxed part. <laughs> And uh, it's an all-inclusive week where you just go and chill out and listen to soul music and lay in the sunshine. Who doesn't want to do that? I really miss it. <laughs> Bring back holidays. Yeah. Definitely. Well, something there you said about like how uh, uh, 
things are you know it connects you with like an experience if um maybe to to, to flip back then to a second like uh to, to, to connecting customer experience and data and mm-hmm. and like we were talking earlier about all these examples of where smaller businesses can do things that are quite quirky and quite unique and how that just impacts on the customer experience do you have any like you know maybe an example or two of where you know really looking at things from a data perspective has actually helped organizations and your students shape customer experience in either like case you know use cases uh within the projects that they're doing or anything like that? Well, put it this way, students at Southampton where I am now, they get the choice to either pick a random company like Starbucks, let's just pick one off the top of the head, um, and do an evaluation of how effectively are they delivering against the customer expectations. And you do this thing called an importance slash performance grid. So you have X is importance, Y axis is um, importance. So importance versus performance. don't know if I said that right. Um, so you set out a range of questions uh, that are typical kind of customer satisfaction survey questions about things that are important when you visit a Starbucks. And that can be based on what's been published in the past and the market research that's perhaps been done professionally about companies like Starbucks and then students cherry pick which are the best questions, which are the most relevant ones, and then think about any that are needing to be added. Then they go out and do an online survey using that, try and gather as many responses as they can. And then that comes back in the form of um, a set of data. And that data comes back as if the person said yes, that's one. If the person said no, that's zero or two. And then, of course, those are just rows and rows and rows of numbers that don't really mean anything. They then have, with our training, to use um, a statistical analysis package called SPSS, which then allows them to run different types of reports and understand what do those numbers mean and what are the averages and the means and the medians from those numbers and what difference does it make if someone was male and over 30 and said yes, or female and under 30 and said no, and then comparing and contrasting whether the typical female preferred Starbucks over the typical male, etc. So it, there's a whole kind of minefield of different ways of kind of slicing and dicing what those numbers mean and turning that data into really usable recommendations for businesses. So that that's kind of an example where Hmm. they won't have advised Starbucks directly and the information may never ever get back to Starbucks unless they take a proactive stance and say hey when they're doing their LinkedIn search I've just done a project where I looked at Starbucks Um, here's my information or I'd be happy to share it with you Um, maybe we can talk about me doing a bit of work experience for you so there wasn't even a role there wasn't even a thing there wasn't even a connection but because of the choice of the student they might have like a conversation starter for that member of staff who they found on LinkedIn so uh, they can be very abstract like that or they can be very connected because they walked into the actual pine vinyl store and then asked the the person who runs the company could we do a project together so I kind of wanted to explain both ends of that spectrum. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great example. Really great example. It's lovely to see data being used in such actually quite somewhat of a simple form, but actually just having a real core business impact. And I think more often than not, you know, in our world, we deal with sometimes what can be quite complex advanced solutions and things like that that we're implementing into 
customer environments, but actually sometimes it's the simple things and getting those right that actually has the maximum impact. So yeah, thanks. And flipping then again to a final personal note for me, it was it's very interesting to know that not only were you obviously my course leader and at my graduation, but I didn't know that I was at the same Chase and Status concert as you that night. So I, I was there somewhere. I was there somewhere in the crowd. I remember it very clearly. It was extremely hot, so it just really made me laugh. As I'm thinking, I was definitely there because I remember seeing them and Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, they're only there. They were doing like a tour around the UK at the time. And uh, I remember it really clearly. Me and three friends of the same age, we'd met at the school gates when our kids were all joining the same class. It was around the same kind of time frame, Greg, as well, 2012, 2013, where um, we'd gone out to John Glur's um, comedy club for a meal and a bit of a giggle. Mm -hmm. We were a few wines down the day. um, (laughs) And then suddenly half of my personal 2T group turned up at John Glur's. And I, I can't repeat the expletive they said, but what the hmm was I doing there? <laughs> brilliant. That is so brilliant. <laughs> oh, oh, fantastic. And then we got invited back to some student house party and I didn't have the heart to tell them that actually, no, I was a lecturer at the university. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been interesting. <laughs> It made us chuckle all the way home because one of them, he sticks in our memory for a particular reason, but they were gone out in morph suits, this group of students, <laughs> and um, it was kind of like a bright blue morph suit with yellow yellow shorts on the outside, like Banana Man. I don't know if you've ever seen the cartoon. So he is forever in our memory as Banana Man who invited us to his party. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that was Greg. <laughs> I was wearing that night. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Portsmouth and that never ceases to amaze. Good times down there. (laughs) The good days when we were able to socialise. Yeah, exactly. We will get back there. We will get there. Stay strong, everybody. Stay healthy. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Okay, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Uh, We always finish with the same question with our guests. So if you could speak with the CX leaders, listening to this podcast, what would you say they can do to be more customer experience centric in their service design? I guess because of the humbling things that I've just been explaining about my embarrassing social life and all that, <laughs> um, is, is exactly that. Um, going back to the floor, there's a TV program, go, uh, back to the floor, isn't there? Back to the shop floor, something like that. I think it's Channel 4. And basically, it's um, people who are the the chief directors of companies going incognito and going and doing a very menial job that is a job perhaps they did many, many decades ago when they were first starting out, but going right back down to, um, with no offence to anybody who works in that role, but going to the level of, of working directly at the customer face again. So if you're now quite distant from the actual face-to-face interaction with your customers, take yourself back into that environment and go and feel the experience of that again to remind yourself of what is important in the customer experience and why do you do what you do and, and how effectively is your business servicing its customer needs when you can see it 
right in front of your face. So, you know, that kind of humbling reminder of uh, exactly what is important to the customers. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, put, putting boots on the ground is definitely huge when you don't actually engage with your customers. Yeah, I mean, even if you work in a, a business where you've got a huge call centre, go and man the calls for an afternoon. Sit alongside your call centre staff and, and deal with the actual complaints and moans and gripes and concerns of your customers. And also, you'll sometimes get very satisfied and happy customers that will make you feel that it was worthwhile as well. But really kind of um, exposing yourself to the to the end result for the customer's point of view. Definitely. Okay. I'd, thank you very much for joining us today, Karen. It was, it was amazing speaking to you. Lovely to speak to you both as well. Thank you, Karen. It's really great to, to chat again. And uh, we might bump into you at the next Chase and Status. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. Sadly, there won't be any more prodigy. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is quite sad. And look out for Greg in his banana suit again. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely won't be